Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Our hunger, Lord. I just feel, Lord God, some of us are just in a dry spell. Lord, Father, wake us up. Lord God, let the word of God excite us again. Let us be excited to be in the house of the Lord. And Father, I pray that you would anoint Enrique, Lord, as he speaks, Lord God. Lord God, I pray like I always pray for myself. Let him not speak with just eloquency of speech, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Hi. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, we just invite you to come. Lord, uh, from, in my opinion, started saying something last week, and I'm just going to pick up on it uh, and continue it forward in the spirit. And while we were worshiping last week, which I love Kevin and uh, his team last week d- did a good job. Give it up for them. I'm glad to see other worship leaders arising and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'd give you a shout out, my boy. Um, <laughs> um, but when they were singing, God's not done with you, it was like, you know, it was that, that verse. Well, I don't remember exactly how it went, but the Lord, Sammy was singing it too, and we just were in that vein. Remember that? I think God wants to speak more on that today, all right? So let's pray it in. Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. You're not done with this ministry, Lord. It's four-year anniversaries coming up, Lord. You're not done. You've only begun. You have so much more ahead you have planned, and And then now specifically for everyone in this room, Lord, you are not done with nobody in this room, Lord. What what is in the past is only a taste of what is coming, God. Father, we know that that we have only but opened up the door to what you have for this ministry and for what you have for my life and our lives, Lord. So, Lord, we are hungry for more. We're tired of making excuses of our past, Lord. We want to move forward in you, Jesus. You're not done with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not done with you. My wife was making fun of me because I I like some Z88.3 songs every so often. What? Yeah, I mean, you know, she's just, you know, IHOP, you know, like Misty and the minor chords sometimes. And sometimes I'll throw on some Z88. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's that song, God's not done with you. You know that song? Does anybody, anybody know that song? Right? It's a good song. I would sing it right now, but you don't want that. And, uh, and then we were singing that last week, and I just feel like the Lord is, here, here's why I feel, him, uh, feel him saying, one, he's tired of our excuses about our past. I said it while I was praying because it's in my heart, and I feel like it's time as, as we're transitioning next Sunday, right, and we're going now into a new season, even in the ministry, the excuses of your past are over. The excuses of why you can't be used anymore, why God's, you're waiting for that perfect moment for the stars to align, for you to step up in your gifting, those days are over. And the time has come, God has called everyone in this ministry to rise up, take their place, to, to shake off the dust, and not wait for that perfect moment that you're supposed to be spiritual to 100, you know, you think, oh, if I just can meet that moment, I'm going to start praying for people. If I can get to that perfect place, I'm going to start preaching and teaching again. If I can get to that perfect place in my relationship with God, then I'm going to start, you know, um, prophesying more and sharing what God is saying. God is tired of excuses. It's time that we move forward, and we need every one of you guys to just shake it off and just move forward. It's time. So I'm excited. I'm excited because uh, I'm talking to myself this morning. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to myself. And I just remember as I was in worship last week and throughout the week as I've been seeking the Lord, I just, Lord, if all I have in my life is what you've done in my past, in my relationship with you, God, then I am very, very disappointed. If my past is all the glorious moments of ministry, all the glory that I've had in your presence, all the miracle signs and wonders are in the rearview mirror, Lord, then I'm disappointed. And that is, that's partly, that's fully my fault. <laughs> let, me, let me correct myself. It's not God. I'm not waiting on God. God's waiting on me. But I feel this just desire and this burning zeal in my heart to say, I'm not going to keep looking at my past to, to, to kind of recapture the spiritual moments of my life. I'm setting my eyes toward the future. Amen. The past is just a taste and just the beginning of what God has for us. 
The ministry so far, four years up to this day, it is only a taste of what God wants to do. The hearts that God wants to change, the souls that God wants to save, the miracles, the healings. There's only, it's, all those in the rearview mirror are just to hold as a testimony for what's to come. And I just felt, just as I was praying that, I'm, as I'm carrying that burden in my heart, I just then all of a sudden, you know what happens, guys, when you start wanting to press on to the future? The devil starts reminding you of your past. Come on, somebody. The devil starts reminding you of your past, of your mistakes, of how much you fall short, how much, how much weaknesses you have in your life. And as you want to press on you, just like everything in you wants to drag your foot forward, the devil keeps pulling you back to that past. And I just want to look at the devil and just tell him, <laughs> God's not surprised. He's not surprised of my past. He's not surprised of who I am. And, and, I, and I, I've been hearing this song oh, by Misty. <laughs> Some of you might not know Misty Edwards, but it'll probably be in every message that, you know, we preach and we carry it in our lives. Just her, her calling. She's an amazing uh, worship leader. leader. If you've never listened to her music, I encourage you. Um, and I want to start with reading some of her lyrics real quick, if that's all right. Is that okay? Can I sing it? No? No? Just needed that, that spiritual approval real quick. I got denied. So the song is called, I Know I Knew What I Was Getting Into. I knew what I was getting into. And I just feel the Lord just staring at us eye to eye, and he's looking at you in, in the eye, and he's saying to you, I knew what I was getting into when I called you. That's, that's kind of talking. I'm not singing it. Hear the voice of the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I knew what I was getting into. Look them like in the eye, though, like through their soul. <laughs> I knew what I was getting into. We think God's surprised about where our journey has gone. It's like, okay, he called me, but he didn't know what was going to happen. I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into when I said your name. I said it just the same. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still chose you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. And I said your name. I said it just the same. I'm not shocked by your weakness. I'm not shocked even by your sin. I'm not shocked by your brokenness. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still like you. I knew what I was getting into, and I chose you. Because I can only see the end from the beginning. And only I can see where this is going. And only I can see the end of the beginning. And I see what I see are seeds of love. I see your strength. When all you see is your failure, and all you see is your shame, I can see deeper than that. I know you better than that. I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into when I said your name. I said it just the same. You're only at the beginning. You've only just begun. And I know where you are going. All you can see is at the moment is you're hurting. And all you can see at the moment is you're aching. But listen, I knew what I was getting into. And then the, my favorite part, of course, is the end. Just don't give up and don't give in. If you don't quit, you win. I'm going to say it again. Everybody sing it with me if you know it. Just don't give up and don't give in. If you don't quit, you win, you win. Come on, give God a clap of praise. Come on. I feel like y'all singing after I just led worship. That's what that felt like right there. Oh. He knew what he was getting into when he called you. He knew your story. He knew the beginning. He knew the trouble. He knew the trials. He knew every single second. And when he knew that and he called you, he called you just the same. It doesn't affect your calling. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this. And I love PG asked me to send him notes on my preaching, and I sent it, and I start with the first, my first verse was not even in my notes. <laughs> so much for that. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this, 
But we are all like unclean things, and we, in our own righteousness, are like filthy rags. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf, and our iniquity, our sin, like the wind, has taken us away. Church, your best moment, your most spiritual moment, your most uh, uh, prophetic moment, your most righteous moment, your holiest moment in your life is filthy rags. When you get to heaven and you stand before Jesus, your most holiest, your most righteous, the best you and the best way you can be before God is still sinful and cannot enter into heaven. Do you understand that? Do you understand the best you is not enough to be holy? The best you is not enough to enter past that pearly gate, to stand before God and to enter into his glory. The best you cannot achieve that. The best Moses couldn't achieve it. The best Abraham, the best Peter, the best Paul could not achieve the level of spiritual height and standard to enter into heaven. Why do we press on to achieve something and think that it's in our own strength? And then when you fail, you beat yourself up like if it was in your own strength. Now, I'm not saying this, obviously, to give you a reason to sin, just like Paul says it when he teaches on grace in the book of Romans. He doesn't give you a license to sin because you understand grace. This is, is giving you a license to not have shame. This is a license to not make excuses for your past. This is not a license. This is a license so that way you cannot say that you cannot do anything in God or in Christ because of what you've done before. We have to stop making excuses if we're going to get to the next level in Jesus. When you come into church and you come to worship, it's, it's not gonna, we don't need 30 minutes to wipe off the dirt and the, and, and, and the week's lies and, and, and the sin. that we, we don't need 30 minutes to get rid of that, to get ready, and then we have one song. By the time the song's done, it's like, oh, I miss worship. Because 30 minutes you were fighting with yourself if you should even be here or not. Because for 30 minutes, it took you 30 minutes to, for God to convince you that it's okay for you to lift your hands. It's okay for you to pray. And all the lies inside of you tell you it's not okay. This is what happens. We got to get past this. It's not your righteousness. You are not good. Is that okay? You are not good. I am not good. I have no good apart from you, Jesus. There's another song. I have no good. Apart from you. Come on, last week you talked about worshipers. If I got the microphone, you're going to hear a couple of verses, songs. I have no good apart from you. And, oh, Shandarabakata. Oh, Jesus. Somebody anoint that man back here, there, give him a raise. Just be ready. Just be ready, bro. When you see me go into it, just, just hit me. I love it. That was awesome. I want to make a statement. God knows our weaknesses. Our sins and shortcomings don't disqualify us from the race. They're the very obstacles within the race. I'm going to say that again. God knows our weaknesses. Our sins and our shortcomings don't disqualify us from the race. They're the obstacles within the race. All that matters in the race is for you to finish the race. Somebody ever ran a marathon and was like almost last place? Anybody ever did that? Where you're like, you ran it and you just did it? Is that all right? How'd you feel when you crossed the finish line? <laughs> well, other than that, you felt accomplished, right? If I do a marathon, I don't care my time, trust me. All I care about is when I, you're going to think I'm first place. There's like 1,500 people. But when I cross, I'm going to feel glorious. And there's not going to be any of those things, but I'm going to believe, I'm going to pretend like there's one, you know, where you cross it. If I finish, if I finish, I, I won. That's the best thing about the race, guys. You don't have to beat another person in the race. You just have to finish the race. You have to get to the end. God has, a, I, remember, I felt the Lord saying this statement to me. I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. God has purchased your ticket. He has purchased, his blood has purchased your plane ticket. You ever seen the movie Home Alone? <laughs> Remember before they, they almost missed the flight? It's almost Christmas time, so. 
I imagine us sometimes. We're, we're, I wish I could remember that song. Whatever it was. And, the, and they're running, and they're trying to make the flight. The flight has been purchased. Just get there on time. Just make it to the flight. Don't miss the flight. Don't give up. That's all that matters, guys. It's this simple. Don't give up. Make it to the end. What does the Bible tell us? He says, Paul says, I've been through it all. I've seen it all. But I tell you, I can sit here as an old man. And I can't imagine sitting there and just, you know, on your rocking chair. You know, you got your denture falling out. You know, he's sitting there. You know, you just had your oatmeal in the morning and, and your fiber bar. So, I love you guys. But I might get a shoe over here in a minute. It's probably going to be a K-Swiss, but that's all right. So you're getting old in your old age, you're rocking back and forth, and then you say that statement to the Lord. You said, Lord, I have finished the race. I have fought the fight. Oh, that's what it's all about. Come on, somebody say that. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I don't care about my past ministry. I want to be gray-haired. I'm pointing at my beautiful gray-haired women over here, right? I want to be gray-haired. And I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when I'm gray-haired. I want to cry in my porch like a baby when you put a Misty Edwards song on. I want to cry in the presence of God and a tear come down my, my, my eye after, you know, my morning breakfast. <laughs> I want to come into church and feel the presence of God when I'm 75 years old and I know I made it in life. That's what it's about. 2 Timothy 4.7, we know the verse. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And I just started thinking about the comparison of our life and our ministry and, and, and similarity to a marriage. You know, it's like when I first met my wife, you know, well, you know, let's just say this. She came on to me, first of all. I couldn't pry her off. This is, come on, let me have this moment. She knows it's true. That's why she's not shaking her head. She knows it's true. So I'm just going to take it in. I literally, like, had to, pry, like, I would see her, and she would, oh, here she is again. Well, maybe not that bad, but I'm, I'm pushing it. I had to pry her off me. <laughs> in the beginning of our relationship, right, that feeling, right, to when you first fall in love, that feeling of when you're daydreaming about your, your spouse or your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, those feelings you have, that is not the fullness of love. You know what's the problem right now in marriages? We think that feeling is love, and if we don't have it, we go look for it again. We think we have to have this, 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 you know, this goosebump feeling, and, and you know, you wake up in your morning, and, and you know, your wife, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm thinking of a story she told me about a guy that, you know, told his wife what to do, told her what he wants when he gets home. I want you in your high heels cooking my dinner. Right, Ralph? Me and Ralph always talk about that. I want your hair did. I want your makeup on. Right? And that's what I heard this one guy saying to his wife. I would never say that to my wife. It's funny because I think of all those moments in our relationship early on. And as I go back to that, as, as, as beautiful it is, as it is, you know what it was? It was the foundation. But here I stand 15 years later. I was 19. I was 16 when I met my wife. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Hold it back, Lord. <laughs> I was 16 when I met her. I stand here 36. And I still love her. And I, if, I, if, I still, if I get to the point where I think I've achieved it and I haven't, then I start to lose it, right? It is a constant, faithful, faithful work and ministry. The same way with Jesus. Think about the disciples who were with him every single day. Every day. Every day. And the day came when Jesus needed the disciples to pray and they were all sleeping. Because we're with him every single day. With him every single day. You're with your spouse every single day. You lose that early on relationship. Early on uh, goosebumps. You lose the, the little, you know, fling feeling of the beginning. And you okay, it's not this, it's this, this church that's not giving me that fling feeling. It did when I first got there, but something must have changed. Yeah, it did. Your heart. <laughs> 
And you know what also changed? That when you first came, you dipped your toe in it. Oh, it was real nice. But once you step into the water a little bit and your toes are wet, then you don't feel it as cold anymore. You got to go a little deeper. Then you got to go a little deeper. Are you satisfied with the feeling of the shore right when it touches your feet? Or do you want to feel it overtake you? When you have some of God, you're not going to be satisfied with that amount of God anymore. He's going to require greater uh, decrease of you to have more increase of him. Amen? Come on. It's not, it's no, I'm going to drop it later. Give me a couple more here. My favorite example of this, and we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at what is becoming one of my heroes in the faith. Not because his story is beautiful, not because he's the most anointed, or, or, but because he reminds me of me, and his name is Peter. We're going to look at his journey. Go to Luke chapter 5. Turn your Bibles to Luke 5. We're going to spend the rest of this morning looking at Peter. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, say, you are Peter. So Peter's journey, Peter's life, guys, is a roller coaster. If you look at Peter's journey from beginning to end, and I have 10 specific moments in Peter's life that I, I, I believe are uh, symbolic of something that all of us go through, and I'm going to try my best to get through all of them. Very important that I do because the, the end is the best, right? But Peter's journey is like a roller coaster. Can anybody compare that? <laughs> Can anybody compare that? You have these moments in God where you feel like, I could take the world. And then it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's the way the kingdom works. On the mountain or in the valley, I will praise you, O God. In the mountain or in the valley, I will praise you, O God. All of us are at one moment. We're either in the mountain or the valley or we're heading in that direction. <laughs> It's nice when you're like, I feel, feel some transition. Things are taking off. You know, you got the, do, 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 do. You know, this is awesome. The Lord is good. Do, 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 do. And it's like, I love it. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, ah! <laughs> and come crashing back down. Trust me. That's the story of our lives. Embrace it. Stop fighting it. Let's talk about Peter's first encounter. All right? So first thing I'm going to talk about is Peter's first encounter. If you're taking notes. This is going to be Peter's first encounter, Luke chapter 5, verse 3. So then he got into the, one of the boats, Jesus, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You see that, that, that blind faith from Peter. Blind faith. He didn't think twice. He didn't think, he, he didn't need some spiritual definition or some spiritual example. First encounter with Jesus, Jesus says to do something, he responds. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking and he uh, signaled to his partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled them and when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. Look at his first response. At Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I can relate to this being my first encounter with Jesus. I wanted to leave that church so quickly. <laughs> I wanted to run because all I could think about and all I could struggle through during worship, during that first time I met Jesus, all I could think about was my sin. All I could think about was all the things I've done up to that age. I was only 19, but I had lived, I've, I did it all. <laughs> And I, I have that feeling, I have that, when you're around holy, glory, we don't lift up our chin. We don't puff up our chest. We don't say, well, luckily I tithe this week. We don't, we don't respond with haughtiness or pride when we're in the presence of glory. Our head comes down and we fall down. Trust me, it happens all throughout Scripture. Peter's first encounter, he encounters Jesus, and his heart is humble. See, we always, we, actually this morning, it was funny, I, I, my daughter said, so what are you t talking about, Daddy? I said, I'm talking about Peter. Do you know anything about Peter? 
my daughter Mariah, and she said, yeah, Peter's the one who walked on water. I was like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> she reminded me of that part. I was like, yes, because <laughs> it's not one of my ten moments in his life, believe it or not. But I was like, that's, like, amazing that it was Peter. She's like, well, he's also the one that denied Jesus. And I go, wow, baby, you know that Peter also died for Jesus too, right? Oh, I didn't know that. We have this thought of Peter like, he's, like he missed it. Peter's you. Peter's me. I met Jesus. When I met Jesus, I, I couldn't tell Jesus what I did in life, what I accomplished, all my little, you know, this, I've done this. And when you meet Jesus for the first time, I'm talking really meet Jesus. Have you ever really met Jesus? Somebody raise their hand if they've really met Jesus. When you meet this man, you will fall down humbled, and you, what you have accomplished is nothing. That's why we all be brothers and sisters in Christ, because all we have is nothing compared to his kingdom. To daddy's bank account, we, we're broke. <laughs> when we compare our bank account to daddy's bank account, we're all broke. We want, we want to have that bank account. We want to have the kingdom, trust me. We met him in humility. And then number two, say two. Number two is Peter's calling. So Jesus finds Peter. He meets this man who, who's humble. He meets this man with blind faith. Like imagine Peter was a little roughneck. I don't know. I have that idea of him. Maybe not. And then Peter, Jesus went to a mountain to pray, and he's praying for who his disciples are going to be. I don't know if he already knew. I don't know what. But he's praying and asking God the Father to show him who his disciples are going to be. And he was up all night laboring over who the ones he's going to choose. Now, you would think that Jesus would choose somebody else, right? You would think that Jesus had a lot of good choices from the Sanhedrin, the priests, the, the, the Levites. He had so many choices in Jerusalem. And he goes to pray. And look at who the very first one he declares is his disciple in Matthew 10, verse 1 and 2. It says, Jesus went out to pray. He gave him power over unclean spirits. And the names of the 12 disciples are these. First, Simon. I love that. And in all accounts of this story, Simon Peter is the first one mentioned. Why did Jesus think of him first? What is it about Peter that Jesus looks at? I knew what I was getting into. Come on, bro. That was your cue. When I called you, I knew what I was getting into when I said your name. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. He knows who Peter is. So Peter's riding up that roller coaster, right? At, 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 you know, uh, uh, what's it, at Disney, the, the Splash Mountain, you know. Peter's going up. He's got the confession now. He knows who he is. It's coming uh, uh, in Matthew 16. You see it there. Everyone knows the story. I'll skip through it quickly. But, you know, Jesus asks, who does man say that I am? Oh, I know Jesus. You're the Messiah. That's right, Simon by Jonah. And that's when he calls him Peter. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. In Matthew 16, 15, we all know that story. So Peter's doing great now. All right. He's, he's, he's being used by Jesus. First disciple mentioned. He's going. He's the first one to realize Jesus as Messiah and confess it. It's all going great. Oh, oh, oh. Here comes the roller coaster now. We all know what happens. He was at the peak right there, just so you know. That was right when he got to the top. He confessed Jesus as Messiah, the first one in the New Testament, right, to, to confess that. One of Jesus' disciples, you know, we know some of the uh, uh, others that did, like uh, um, um, Anna and, and, and Sapphira. Uh, no, not Sapphira. Anna and, and Ananias, right? Is that the right name? Yeah. yeah. And Simon and Anna, the prophetess. Sorry, that's what I meant. Um, they confessed Jesus, but one of the first disciples, right? So they come down, and then we see here in Matthew 16, verse 22. Let's turn to that one. Because some of us need this in our life. Some of us need a good, healthy rebuke. Can somebody say amen? Lord, rebuke me. <laughs> That's what, that, I know, right? That's what David said, though. David said, chastise me, Lord. Rebuke me. See if there are anything. He, David literally invites this from the Lord. We need this in our life. It's healthy for our lives. If you only go to a church where you never feel, you know, rubbed the wrong way, you're in the wrong church. If your only spiritual friends are yes men, you got the wrong friends. You need someone in your life that's going to look at you and go, yeah, that's straight up wrong, bro. 
That is not how you, you're better than that. You, you know what? You're right, man. You're right. I'm lucky I have friends like that in my life. I really, I really love them because they won't, they won't hesitate to tell you how it is. Matthew 16, 22. Let's look at it. So Peter, good old Peter, took Jesus aside. <laughs> Come over here, Jesus. I need to talk to you. I know you got all this, you know, you got this plan, but I, just, I need to help you out. Because just so you know, Jesus, I did recognize you as Messiah. Just so you know, Jesus, I was the first disciple that you mentioned, right? You remember that? You remember that? I, 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 you've been trusting me, Jesus. Now I'm trying to step into my place of leadership, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you how it is. Uh-oh, come on, somebody. How many times in leadership somebody's been doing awesome, we invite them in leadership, and all of a sudden they come in leadership and everything. they want to change everything? <laughs> it's like, bro, you've been in the church three months, and you want to change the whole church? How about you surf for a little bit and wash some feet? How about you uh, go in the back seat during the prayer meeting and cry out to the Lord for the church first before you want to change the board meeting? It's our problem. How many times in churches, we talked about churches, what a powerful word that she gave earlier. How many times in churches we have so much hurt in these churches? But you know why? Because we appoint leaders too quickly. We appoint leadership based on character traits, uh, I'm sorry, character, you know, personality traits than character traits. We appoint leadership because they got a little bit of fire. I mean, I remember one time I went to a Bible meeting in, in college. Um, it was, you know, the F, I forget all the names that they have for them, one of those meeting things. And just because I loved Jesus and believed in holiness and had a little fire, they wanted to make, make me over the entire Bible study of the entire college. <laughs> It's like, oh, wow, it's very seldom we see somebody, you know, and I, I wasn't ready for that. Just because I love Jesus and I was living my life that way, it's like, now you're in leadership. And I remember I said no to it. But I just remember that example of any time a ministry sees somebody fiery, uh, faithful. Oh, there's that word faithful. We got a faithful one. Raise him up. Put him in leadership. He's faithful. He's been here on time for three weeks in a row. We need him to be over all the ushers, please. It's perfect timing. Look at that. It's perfect timing because our usher guy's going to a different church. You know, it's like, and there's this cycle. I don't know why. I just feel like, I don't know. I wasn't even playing this message, but I feel like it's, the timing now is making sense why God gave me it because of next week and the four years and the transition. We've got to stop making excuses. So Peter was very, very, very confident in his rebuke to Jesus. He said, Jesus, never, Lord. You'll not die. This will never happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but of merely human concerns. You're not out for this, for the beauty of the, of the church. You're not out for this, for the glory of your friend's life. You're only looking for own human. You have, you're looking every, through everything through your own selfish desires. Number five, everybody say five. Peter's warning. Now we're going to start getting into the good stuff here. Peter's warning, Jesus looked at Peter. We all know this story. Fast forward, Jesus and Peter do a lot of ministry together. Peter sees us a lot of glorious stuff. He's used by God. He's near to God. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when they would see Jesus praying, Peter and the disciples would come and say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, God. We want to be like you. How do you pray? I mean, everything was so fresh and so new in the beginning, in the, in the honeymoon phase. Then all of a sudden, right, again, <laughs> Peter started getting comfortable again with Jesus, right? He started getting comfortable, started making claims again. And, and I don't mind Peter's heart. I really don't because it's something I feel like I would have said. <laughs> I'm Peter. Jesus, again, is saying to his disciples, this very night, Matthew 26, 31, this very night you will all fall away from me. How many times does a pastor give you a warning and you let it just go? Oh, not me. No. I don't need to refrain from that. I don't need to refrain from that. That's, that's not me. I'm, I'm all right. How can I ever fall away from God? Think about a friend of yours who's fallen away from God. It carries weight on my heart because I've got friends that have fallen away. And, they, and, and I, every time I see them or, you know, wherever, and 
Just carry this burden for them. And you always ask yourself, like, how could that be? How could that be? How could that be? That could be me. That could be me. The Bible says, let, you know, woe to you who think that you can't fall away, lest it be you. You need to live from this place of warning. You need to live from this place of the fear of the Lord, of, of I'm working out my salvation through fear and trembling. Nothing is promised to you. When you mingle with sin, when you give access to the enemy, when you dabble with your flesh, sometimes not even the enemy, it's just you. When you give in to you, when you live for you, when it's about you, then it's no longer about him. And the more you that you live for, the less him you start to understand and his ways. Peter, he says, he says, even if all fall away, Jesus, I never will. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, truly I tell you, this very night, not in a week from now, but tonight, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other disciples all said the same thing. Here's, I'm not saying this to beat you over the head. I'm saying this because you know what Jesus did next? He washed their feet. You know what Jesus did next? He sat with them and ate with them and didn't look at them different. Wait, wait, Jesus is sitting there, and the disciples are all making promises that he knows they're all going to fail, and he still washed their feet, and he still ate with them, and he still died on that cross for them. What? In the same night that they promised, he knows that they're going to disown him, and, he, and it doesn't change anything about the way he sees them. Hallelujah. doesn't change nothing. Knew what I was getting into when I called you, Peter. I knew what I was getting into when I called you, Simon Barjona, when we were in that boat and I looked you in the eyes and I said, follow me, Peter. I knew what I was getting into. So much zeal. We think Jesus is so angry with that. He takes delight in your youthful zeal. You're, even when he's like, you're so not going to live up to your promises. <laughs> my daughter's, my daughter, she was like in the, in the um, honor row, right, all A's and B's. She's like, next year I'm going to get A's, I'm going to get all A's, daddy. I'm going to be presidential, right? And she makes these promises. I'm going to get all A's, you know, and then this year I got the first progress report and she got her first like D and, and C and I'm like, what is going on? Hopefully, you know, she would literally cry if she heard me tell anybody about her grades. <laughs> But do you think I look at my daughter different because she didn't live up to her promise? It just, just is, maybe, I des maybe she deserves for me to look at her different, yeah? Maybe I should not take her. Now when she makes a promise, I should not believe her. No? What do you think as a dad? When my immature, right, my childlike daughter makes a promise and falls short, maybe I should just never trust her ever again. When, when you fall, God does not look at you differently, friends. Not even for a moment, not even for a second. Your name doesn't come up different in his heart when he says your name and your name is heard before the throne, when he sees your face, when you stand before him in eternity and you walk up. He does not know about your broken promises. You know why? Because he kept his promise. His blood, his righteousness, your righteousness, your promises, your righteousness is filthy rags. Round it up, toss it in the trash, it means nothing, it gives you no access into heaven. All that matters is did you come? Did you make it? Did you, did you come to the finish line? That's all that matters. Number six. I like this part because everybody skips over this part. You know, we see Peter, he makes this promise, Jesus, I will die for you. Everyone's like, man, Peter messed up. He disowned Jesus. Yeah, he did. But you know what Peter did right after he promised Jesus that he would die for him? The, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin came to get Jesus, and Peter took out his sword and was ready to die for Jesus. Did you know that? He took out his sword, and he was ready to fulfill his promise in the way that he thought it would look. Uh-oh. 
Peter had a vision. I'm going to die for Jesus. It's going to look like this. I'm the one that carries the sword out of the, the disciples. When they come get him, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to die for Jesus. He meant it with all of his heart. But Jesus is like, it's not that death that I'm talking about. You're ready to die for me, but I want you to die to you first, Peter. You dying for me is not, is not doing anything for me. You die to you first, Peter. And there's, you know what, Peter? That's going to take years. That's going to take years. It's not going to happen overnight. Peter, it's going to take years and years of you dying to yourself. And then you read Peter's the, uh, uh, chapters, you know, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and you read those, and you, you hear a man that is dead to himself. You hear a man who has learned to die to his own righteousness. And then you look at Peter in jail. I mean, I don't want to skip ahead, but I, I'm almost tempted to look at Peter praising God when he's beaten in jail. Looking at Peter stepping before the Sanhedrin and proclaiming in Acts chapter 4 all the things Peter did. And I look at it and I'm like, it's not what Peter thought. And then all of a sudden he got it later in life. And I, and I look at that. Peter stands up. They come to get Jesus. He pulls out his sword. He, he strikes the ear of one of the priests, and the servant's name was Malchus. It says, it's John 18, 7. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Peter, I know you think you, again, know what needs to happen, Peter, and I love your heart, but this is not what I meant. And Peter's, Peter's probably confused. I was ready to die for him. He told me to put it away. Uh, and he's walking off, and Jesus is taken. And he, he's been taught by the Jews that the Messiah is going to come to rule and reign. He's been taught by the Jews that the Messiah is going to take Jerusalem and be made king on the throne. He's been taught for all these years. All his friends talk about the Messiah. He knows he's the Messiah. He confessed it, but he didn't know the Messiah must die to himself first. He didn't understand. He couldn't comprehend. The Messiah must be put on a beaten and put up on a bloody, rag, rugged cross. He couldn't comprehend this. It was messing up everything inside of him. Number seven, we all know about this moment. Peter's denial. Number seven, Peter's denial. It says in Luke 22, verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him, Jesus, and brought him to the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. See that? Followed at a distance. Little by little, started backing up. Little by little, more people come, started looking at who was looking at him, caring about what others thought, caring about what he's done so far. Doubt started coming. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Followed at a distance. And all of a sudden, a servant girl said to him, she said, looked at him, this is a man who's been with him. And then Peter denied him. He said, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are with them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. He begins to deny Jesus the third time. And when he denies Jesus, immediately it says, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Just imagine that moment for Peter. Imagine that moment where Peter denies Jesus. Jesus looks at him, and it says, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. Now here's the part that just blew me away. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter did not get angry. Peter did not run from God. He did not run and, and, and do what Judas did. Judas denied God. What did he do? Killed himself. Peter denied God, and he ran and he wept bitterly. And I like to imagine that moment of Peter before the Father crying and weeping. And then I'm reminded in the book of Psalms where it says, the Lord God will not deny those who have a broken and contrite heart, a broken heart, a broken spirit. Anybody ever been in a place where you were the darkest of darkest of moments and you almost could see Jesus turn and look at you in that dark moment and your response was just to weep and to be broken before God in your own broken, in your frailty, in your sin? 
the darkest hour of your soul, Jesus was looking at you. The moment of your worst, worst moment, church, Jesus was looking at you. But here's the difference. He wasn't looking at you surprised or disappointed. He's looking at you in the same way he looked at Peter. And I can imagine Peter not knowing what Jesus sees when Jesus looked at him. Jesus knowing the end from the beginning. Knowing Peter's death, knowing Peter's life, Jesus looked at Peter in his darkest moment, and he's like, I can't wait till I see Peter again. (laughs) Oh, we're going to see what happens with Peter. Let's keep going. Let's look at John 21. You guys okay? We're almost there. John 21. You can send up the worship team, Peter, whenever you... Everybody say, I am Peter. (laughs) Peter, pastor, come on. This is right there. Dang. Pastor George, you can send him to worship team whenever you're ready. I don't know what time you want to do. (laughs) Look at John chapter 21. I'm going to turn there actually in my Bible because I want to make sure we we, we don't rush this part. It was hard to get through the roller coaster. You guys with me though, right? Do you feel that emotional roller coaster of Peter? Anybody can relate to this. <laughs> Anybody had those moments where they confessed? Anybody had those moments where they denied? Guys, every time we turn from God and choose something over him, we deny him. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, is still with you. I remember Reinhard Bunke once said the Holy Spirit is, even though he came like Jesus on a dove, he's not really like a dove with us. He's like a fire. He consumes. He consumes. Because a dove, you know, you do something and the dove flies away. That's not the Holy Spirit to the normal believer. (laughs) He's not like we just do something, he's gone, and then he comes back. And then we're holy, and we walk with the dove on our shoulder while we're holy. Like, oh, 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 and the Holy Spirit gone. That's No, the Holy Spirit's like a fire inside of you. He consumes. He's like a river. Does that river get plugged up? Absolutely. Does that river get stagnant? Absolutely. Does that river get a bunch of stuff in it that we need to clean it up? Absolutely. But he's a river. He's a fire inside of you. He's not something that just gets scared away every time, you know, you do something. Stop making excuses. John 21. We see the restoration of Peter here. Most of you guys may know this story, and, you know, I almost had the temptation not to share it because everyone knows the story. And that's what the enemy even does sometimes. Oh, everybody knows this story. You know, No, this is what we need right now from the Lord. We need to understand the process, the journey, and love God through it. When we go up and down, we will end back at the feet of Jesus, and his response will always be a response of mercy and of grace. Can you say amen? John 21, 15, I'll I'll just paraphrase this part. You know, Peter went back to doing what he he knew. Maybe like some of you guys. You went back to that old relationship. Come on. You went back to that that old fling. You went back to the the old job that you used to do. You went back to the whatever it was, the, the habits that you used to do before you met God. When you fall away from God or you mess up, you have two choices. Run back into God or go back to your old habits. Because it's all about what feels comfortable. And you feel more comfortable saying, I've already messed up. Let me get back into my old habits, my old ways, because that's where I feel comfortable in my sin. It's not comfortable to run to the throne of grace. It's not comfortable. It's hot. It's heavy. The worst place to be in the presence of God is when you've messed up and you don't want to, here's the key, deal with your sin. You know how we deal with your sin, right? We say no to it, we repent of it, and we turn away from it. That is not as easy as it sounds because you actually might have to physically do stuff in your life like turning off a relationship, turning away from this person, doing actual things. I don't know what that looks like for you. But in reality, what it is is saying no to it turning from it and asking God for forgiveness from it, and it is gone. It's in your past. It is gone in an instant right there. The power of the blood of Jesus. If you feel like you can't have that instant grace and mercy, if you feel that you cannot achieve instant forgiveness, then what you're saying is his blood is not enough for your sin. His cross was not enough to forgive you. 
It can work for everyone else, but not me. Ever had that thought in your heart? It's enough. His blood is sufficient. Look at verse 15 with with, uh, Peter. So what I was saying was Peter went back to his old ways. He went back to fishing. Same place he found Jesus for the first time. Jesus is like, well, I know where to find Peter again. Back in the boat. And Peter, when he saw Jesus on the shore, you know what he did? Good old Peter. He didn't think again. He literally dived into the water. I love it. Because his responses have always been pure. His response was always a response of love. And then he messes up. It's like us. God's like, I see your, when you don't think about it, when you just respond out of love, you respond wholeheartedly. When you, it's when we start to analyze God. Well, if, I, don't, I think this happened because of this, and this happened because of this. That's when we fall short. God's like, just, just jump. Peter, get out the boat. Walk on water. Okay. <laughs> Peter, that's a perfect, perfect example of Peter, by the way, right? He walks on the water, and then he sinks. That's me right here. <laughs> Walk on the water and then I sink. I walk on the water and then I start looking around, right? What's happening in my life? And then what happens? Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him out. Imagine the other disciples, man, you shouldn't have got out the boat, bro. It was embarrassing. Peter's like, at least I got out the boat. Y'all just stayed in the boat. Is that what you want to do? You want to be comfortable all the days of your life? Or you want to get out the boat and at least try? You want to be comfortable in the, in the, and not feel any anxieties? Then don't get off the boat, yes. But if you want to live a little bit, come on. You may fall, you may fail, but at least you got off the boat. Can someone say amen? So Jesus looked at Peter. We know the story, and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, verse 15. Do you love me more than these? And that word love, when Jesus says it, is agape. Then Peter responds, and he says, Lord, you know I love you. And the word he uses is phileo. So Jesus asked Peter for agape love. I don't know if you have that slide, but I'll tell you, agape love is referring to an unconditional love, the highest form of love and charity, and the love of God for man. Agape love. Agape love is love from God. We don't know how to love like that. The only thing I could try in a small inch of a way compare it to is my love for my children. That's the only way I could try to compare. Because, you know, my wife is a little different. But it's like when it's your child, you know, when you look from up, down, to the immaturity in them, to the, the lack of understanding, and to the just child Like that love as a father, my kids can do no wrong. My three-year-old can do no wrong. My change, it does not change my love for them. This unconditional love that God has for his children, the agape love. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, can you ever agape love me? Can you love me like God loves? Peter's like, I can't. I can't love you like God loves, but I can love you like man loves. That's phileo. The word phileo is to love like a friend. Love as man, almost. It's like friend to friend. Man, I phileo a good sub after service. I phileo some chicken wings we threw in the air fryer last week. That was like the bomb. I phileo those loves, those those wings. You see, anybody ever said they love something that's just the worst example of the word love? (laughs) My wife be loving some purses, I ain't gonna lie. She will tell you she loves them. That's the word she will use, love. She's going to kill me after service. You, you think that's the love that God is comparing his love for us to? Of course not. Peter's like, it's all I got. I've got like this kind of like I like you a little bit love. Like you're not so bad, Jesus. But I've got all these reasons that are holding me back. I've got this example of my life. You don't know what I've been through, Jesus. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how many times I've messed up. I can't tell you I'm going to love you like you want me to love you. I'm never going to live up to that standard. And Jesus is so moved with his honesty. He's so moved with his honesty. And now Peter is starting to come back to that moment that Jesus saw in him on the boat when he said, Lord, I'm, I, I'm not holy. I'm still a sinful man. And Jesus sees that same Peter again. And he looks in his heart. He goes, 
It's so good. And he asked him a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like God loves? Peter's like, Lord, I do not love you like you love me. I can love you like I like things. You're one of those things I like and I love. That's all I've got, Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. I can't love you like that, God. Jesus is like, okay, I understand. And I ask you a third time. Well, how, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? I'm going to ask you a third time. And this time, Jesus changes it. Peter, can you phileo me? Can you love me with your weak love? Can you love me with the little bit that you got? Whatever you got, Peter. Five loaves and two fishes, remember that? Whatever you got, Peter, the little love that you got. Can you give me that? Can I have that? Because if I can just get that from you, if we can start with that little seed of love, that little bit where you just feel that little drawing to me, something in you when you come to service, it draws you to more of God. You're busy with everything else, but there's a draw. It's happening. Little by little, something is wanting to draw you to God. And God says, there it is. That's all I need to work with because when I breathe on that seed, I will change it from phileo to agape. And when you stand before me, all I need from you is my phileo love. All I need is just this weak, broken love. You can't give me love like I give you. I'm not asking for that. You can't give me, you don't know. Do you understand what I, I have lived a perfect, sinful life, and I bore all your sins, Peter. I took it on the cross. I carried the weight of your mistakes. I agape you. You can phileo me. It's okay. There's going to be a moment in there. When we meet God, and that love will be agape love. There's a perfect unity, a perfect harmony of the Spirit of God. In the Bible, in Revelation 22, at the end of the Bible, it says, the Spirit and the bride say come. There is a unity that will come. All of eternity, us, the church, will be joined to Jesus as the bride. We will be in a perfect relationship with our bridegroom. The day will come. We, he will not be married to a harlot. The Bible says the two will be one, and surely I cannot join myself to a harlot. I cannot join myself to a person that chases other lovers. And I sit there and I hear that verse. I say, Lord, I have chased so many other lovers, God. I have given my heart away to so many other areas. I have not been faithful, God. I have not agaped you, God. I have phileoed you. I've thrown you into the, to the categories of all my other things I do in my life. Check that box, check that box. I do this, I do that, I do a little bit of God. I put that in my, in my ministry notes. Maybe I'll go to a, to a couple of uh, ministry events here and there and I'll check that box. But it's all I got, God, and God is not disappointed with that. It's not an excuse anymore, but he's not disappointed for it. I want to tell you the end of the story here, and I promise I'm done. I think we're just going to keep Joanne here on the, on the keys for now, too. Uh, worship team, I want you guys, who, those that were on the worship team today, to just engage here as we go into prayer. We're not going to go into some crazy thing. I just, I want to take a moment for Holy Spirit to bring this home. I want to remind you the last two things here. Number nine, Peter's ministry. Peter was the one that Jesus chose to use to bring the gospel to you broken? Peter. Right? Fearful Peter. Peter who was all in his own way. That Peter is the reason why me and you have salvation today. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says that he used Peter to bring the gospel and the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. Now Jesus, you know, there was a woman that came to Jesus said, even the bread from the master's table, right? So Jesus is like, oh, I can imagine when the woman comes and asks, you know, for, for Jesus to do a miracle for her daughter, he looks over at Peter like, Peter has no idea. Peter has no idea what I'm going to use him for. Peter has no idea what I have in store for Peter. When Jesus looked at Peter after his third denial, Jesus looked at him, yep, he's qualified. He's qualified for the gospel to go all over the world to all the nations and the Gentiles to receive the, the salvation of God. He's qualified. That guy is qualified. So you don't say you're disqualified. Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus still used him. He raised Peter up, took Peter, raised him up as one of the, the senior leaders of the church. Peter helped to grow the church in Antioch and to, uh, to grow the apostolic church. God used Peter. 
then now Peter gets a little older. That's where the first Peter and second Peter come in. Hopefully you never read those two books ever the same again. And, he, and he's an older man now. And he knows the end is near. I'm going to end with this verse. Second Peter verse, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 14. So as you're turning there, go ahead and turn there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 14. I want to remind you what Jesus told Peter in John 21. At the end of the book of John, Jesus is telling John about how, you know, he's going to endure and he's not going to die. And Peter's like, hey, what about me? <laughs> and Jesus looked over at Peter and he said to Peter, he said to him, when you were younger, you girded yourself. It was all about you, Peter. When you walked where you wished, but when you had become old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Peter, I remember that time when you told me you would die for me. You remember that, Peter? You're almost ready. You're almost ready, Peter. It took years and years of mistakes. It took years and years of you finding out that you aren't good enough. When are you, gonna, when are you guys going to understand that? You'll never meet the standard. It's in his righteousness, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Why do you beat yourself up with shame? I don't care what you've done before. I don't care the mistakes you've done in your life. By his righteousness, you're saved. Not by your righteousness. Peter, you, you are ready to die, Peter, but when you get old, there's going to come a day where they're going to take you where you wish not. And you're going to be ready, Peter. All of a sudden, fast forward years and years, and Peter now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he's ready. Look what he says. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. I want to stop there for a second. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me, Jesus showed Peter how he would die, and Peter had to live with that. In the same way that Jesus had to live with knowing how he would die, Peter had to live with knowing how he would die. And in the same way, when Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, I know you know how you're going to die, but I, that's not going to happen. Peter had to learn what to live with the fact that he was going to die, and he was going to be martyred, and he had to live with that all the days of his life in ministry, and how to embrace his cross, how to embrace the end of his race, the end of his fight. He says, I, I, I know how it's going to happen. Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure you of all that has happened of these things after my decease. This is a man who is ready to bear his cross. I'm going to end it with this picture right here, and then we're going to pray. I don't know if you have it back there, if you can put it up for me. So just so you know, Peter was crucified upside down. Peter was crucified upside down. In the Fox's Book of Martyrs, we see the account. Peter was asked, Peter asked not to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus because he did not feel that he was, uh, he, he felt like it wasn't, he wasn't good enough or holy enough to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus. So he asked him to put him upside down when Nero took over and he crucified Peter. This is not the Peter we think of, right? We think of the denying Peter. We think of the Peter that messed up. We think of the Peter that had so many mistakes when this is the Peter that actually finished the race. The Peter that finished the race, guys. He was a person that literally at his last moment on the cross, he asked him to put him upside down because he was humbled. Humbled at his mistakes. Humbled at his shortcomings. Humbled at his sin. Humbled at his denial of Jesus, and the, I, I can imagine Peter upside down as the blood rushes to his head, imagining the look of Jesus when he looked at him in his denial, and remembering all the times that Jesus restored him after that. Oh, well, you think Peter would tell you that Jesus doesn't have mercy or grace, or is not a kind God? In that moment, Peter dying for Jesus upside down. I can imagine what's going on in his heart. Go ahead and stand with me for a minute. As we were singing that song earlier, being thrown upon the praise, and I was just thinking of, Lord, what kind of praise came out of Peter? 
What is praise? What is worship? When we come into your presence, you know what it is? It is a thanksgiving for what he's done for you. Nobody can worship and praise God in the manner that you can. You know why? Because only you have gone through what you've gone through. The person standing next to you, their praise looks different. Their praise looks totally different because they've been through something totally different. When you stand before your God and you lift up your hands and you lift up your praise, the Bible says it's a sacrifice of praise and it comes before the Father and he looks down. He can look all over the earth, but only you look like you when you worship. Only you look like you when you praise. So what are you going to do when you fall? What are you going to do when you come up short? What are you going to do when you deny Jesus every time you you mess up and you fall short? What are you going to do? Are you going to run from God, or are you gonna run to God? Let's end here in a couple minutes of prayer, guys. Go ahead, Joanne. Just wanna encourage us, just put your hands out before the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.